Jesus, thank you that you are here. And Lord, use these next few minutes to help us understand your word better so we can live according to it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hello, 11 o'clock. It's great to have you with us as well, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers. Uh, Last Sunday, I uh, was not scheduled to preach here, but I was scheduled to do communion here in all of our services. But on Saturday, I got a call from a pastor at another church here in Bellevue, and he said, yeah, yeah, Scott, we we haven't heard from you this week, so I just want to be sure you know you're preaching at my church tomorrow, right? (laughs) No, I do not know that. That is like the worst pastor nightmare ever, right? Like one of us was going to have to come up with a sermon really quick, right? And so I, you know, I'd agreed to preach at his church this summer, but I thought it was later in the summer. So I scrambled to start writing a sermon only to discover that my printer chose that day to stop working, at which point I said words that I don't normally say like gosh and fiddlesticks, you know, and... (laughs) It all turned out okay, but for a while there, there's a couple hours there, it was kind of a mess as we were scrambling around. And I think all of us end up in some kind of a mess at various points in our lives. And some of them are messes of our own making, uh, like that one. Others are not our fault. Some are just kind of annoying and nuisances, but other messes can be very, very painful. Right? Like the, the, the breakdown of a friendship or a marriage or a family relationship, a crisis at school or at work or home problems or health problems, all kinds of stuff. So what does God do with the messes we find ourselves in? Well, Rahab, the story we just read about Rahab, it kind of answers that, that question because her life was a mess. Now, the background is that God, under Moses, led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. When Moses died, Joshua took over and was going to lead them into the promised land, which involved displacing some of the local Canaanites. And that raises the question, why would God send people into battle? Why would God displace people that were already there? That's a big question, and we will answer it more thoroughly in the fall when we preach through the Bible in 10 weeks. But for now, let me just suffice it to say that there are some places of conquest in the Bible. Bible, um, a few of them, but, but those were always meant to be provisional, to establish the nation of Israel, from which God could spread his word to the rest of the world, his, his message to the rest of the world, and more importantly, because the Canaanite regimes that were there, were, that were conquered, were exceedingly oppressive. They would do things like throw their children into a fire and burn them to death alive in a fire, as part of their kind of rituals, their their worship, their pagan rituals. They would force both men and women into sexual slavery, also as part of their pagan rituals. They were very oppressive. And God, as God would, through the Israelites, was establishing a more just, a more merciful community. And as we'll see, this new way of living was well open to the uh, the Canaanites as well. And we'll see that in a minute. And Rahab, she was probably on the receiving end of Canaanite oppression. She's Canaanite, and she was a prostitute. And while it's possible she chose that life for herself in some way, it is more likely she was forced into it by strong men around her or out of economic desperation. And on top of that, the Israelites are camped outside her city ready to invade. Her life is a mess. She's in a big mess. But God redeems the mess and makes her part of a new community where she is no longer oppressed. And she ends up, as you just heard, becoming one of Jesus' ancestors. Jesus is descended from Rahab. She's a brave, strong woman who outsmarts every man in this story. This is just one of the cool stories in the Bible, right? Because she's just so captivating as a person. 
And she shows us a couple of things that God does with the messes we find ourselves in. And the first is this, your mess is not your meaning. By that I mean it's not your identity. It doesn't define you. Before the Israelites attacked, Joshua sent these spies to see what they could learn about their enemy's plans, right? And it says they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stayed there. Later, when Joshua attacks the city, he, he says to his troops, only Rahab the prostitute and all who are in her house shall be spared. Later, Joshua says to his men, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and everyone that belongs to her. Still later, it says Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, right? Like over and over and over, she's identified as a prostitute, which is why I'm glad I actually wasn't here last week to preach on this text because that was all ages worship and there's a lot of kids here and that would have given some of you an interesting drive home, right? Like, daddy, what's a, you know, she owned a business, never mind, right? She carries the label wherever she goes. Prostitute, prostitute. It's everywhere. That was her identity, as though that were her meaning. Well, after this story, she doesn't show up in the Bible again until the very first page of the New Testament, where there's a list of Jesus' ancestors. And it says this, Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, and on and on and on until you get to Jesus. Do you notice anything different? Right? Like in the Old Testament, every time it's always Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the prostitute. But once she gets connected to Jesus, it's just Rahab. Her mess does not define her. Her identity is in Christ. So maybe you failed at something in school or in a friendship or at work or in a marriage. That's not the same thing as being a failure. And I have to remind myself of this all the time. Maybe there's some sin you keep doing over and over and over. That's not your identity. It's not, it's not Steve the porn addict or Mary the greedy or, or Fred the gossip. Those may be things you do and you should not do them because they come, cause harm. But that's not your identity. That's not who you are in Christ. In fact, that's the reason you shouldn't do those things because it's not who you really are in Jesus. Right? If you know Jesus, you are a new creation set apart with a brand new heart to be a different person. Which means the Christian life is not trying to be like so-and-so over there, right? It's just stepping into and acting according to who God says you already are in Christ. Both uh, the book of Hebrews and the book of James, uh, both books in the New Testament, they, they praise Rahab for two qualities that she had. And the first is her courage, right? The spies go to her house. Some people think it was to have sex with her, but that's not what the text says. The text says they just stayed there. It doesn't say they slept there. It's more likely they went there because as a prostitute, some of her customers probably would have been soldiers or leaders, and maybe she heard some gossip about some military plans she could pass on to the spies. Well, when the king finds out, he sends messengers to her house to kind of find him, and Rahab is great. She goes, yeah, yeah, they were here, but they left. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So just to get this straight, she commits an act of civil disobedience, defies the king, hides the spies. We call her a hero for that. What do you think the Canaanites would have called her? Traitor. Traitor. This could have gotten her killed. She is brave. And the reason she's brave is because of the second quality the New Testament praises her for. And that is, even though she's a Canaanite, she has faith in the God of Israel. She tells the spies, I know that the Lord has given you this land. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. 
That last line is a remarkable thing for a pagan Canaanite woman to say. And when she says, God has given this land to you, it's, it, she does it in the past tense, as though it's a done deal. Because, see, she believes that what God has promised, God can and God will do. She is certain of God's promises. And, in fact, we'll see in a minute, she's actually kind of more certain about God than the Israelites are. She has what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. That's not like be afraid because God's out to get you, but reverence, awe, wonder. God is all-powerful and can do what he promises to do, and faith is acting as though the promises of God are true. So what mess are you in? What mess do you find yourself in? And how could you act as though God's promises are true? Because they are. God's promise that he uses all things for good. God's promise that even in the hardest places, Jesus can renew all things. And maybe that means reaching out to someone who's mad at you and asking for forgiveness. Maybe it's taking some kind of a risk at school or at work. Uh, maybe it's to take a new job. Maybe it's to reach out to try to help someone in need. Rahab has courage because she has faith. And she has seen the goodness of God. Right? These, these, so, these spies do not come to her for sex. And having been trapped in an abusive sexual slavery, to be treated with dignity was probably a new experience for her and an example of the new kind of community that God was forming. So you go throughout the Bible, Rahab actually ends up kind of becoming, coming to be seen for her courage, for her faith, for her intelligence, not for her mess. Her mess did not define her. Because with Jesus, past performance does not indicate future results. Just because you've been a mess in the past doesn't mean you'll be a mess in the future. Just because you've blown in the past doesn't mean you'll always keep blowing it forever and ever and ever. And I'm, I can prove that to you in two words, though I hesitate to say them. The Mariners. <laughs> oh, okay, so they lost their last two games. But oh my goodness, right? Like this summer, like they are playing really well. Like they're a legit team, right? Like you go to a game and you think, we could win this game, right? Like it's a new experience, right? And I have faith. We're not going to get that wild card. No, division. We're going to take the division, Right? Their past performance did not indicate their future results in this season. And they're going to keep being strong. But I'm going to stop talking about it because I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> your past doesn't predict your future. Your mess is not your meaning. It does not define you. Second point. There is mercy for your mess. Your mess doesn't exclude you from God's grace. It doesn't exclude you from God's community of faith. Rahab is an outsider. She's a woman in a culture that didn't value that. She's a prostitute. To the Israelites, she was a foreigner. She's ethnically an outsider, gender outsider, moral outsider. The text tells us that her house, the house she lived in, was part of the city wall. There's nothing more outside a city than the city wall, where the poor people would build their shanties into the wall, which meant they would be the first people to suffer from an attack. They were literally human shields for the rich people in the city. She is as outside as you can get. And yet she, she becomes part of this new community that God is creating. And not just any member of this community. She's the great-great-grandmother of Israel's greatest king, David. And she's Jesus like 28, 29 times great-grandmother too. Right? She was the ultimate outsider who becomes the ultimate insider. And it shows that anyone, anyone can be part of God's new community. Because see, God was revealing himself to the Canaanites as well. Right? Not just to the Israelites, but to the Canaanites also. Right? And they were also invited into this new community. Rahab says when the Canaanites heard that God had parted the Red Sea, she says, our hearts melted in fear. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now every other Canaanite, she says, our hearts, every other Canaanite has the access to the same information that Rahab had. 
But they did not turn to God the way Rahab did. And had they turned to God, they would have become part of this new community as well and would have been spared. The outsider becomes the insider. Which means we who follow Jesus are called to constantly be welcoming outsiders inside. Even, you know, maybe they're a different race than we are. Maybe they're a different age than we are. Maybe they, they aren't used to church and they don't use church words and, and they don't know what a narthex or a nave or a fellowship group is. Maybe they think differently or act differently or dress differently. Maybe some have made really bad life decisions and have found themselves in a mess. I mean, you got to wonder, like, did Israelite parents worry about what Rahab's presence might do? to the morals of their kids? I bet they probably did. But they welcomed her in anyway because everyone is a mess. We all need Jesus because in Jesus, your mess is not your meaning. There is mercy for your mess. And third, your mess can become your message. Your mess can become your message. Rahab makes this bargain with the spies that you heard it in the text. She says to the spies, swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you by hiding them from the king. Spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sisters, and all who belong to them. So she outsmarts every man in this story and kind of strikes this deal where she's able to save her entire family and all their kids and all their relatives. I mean, who knows how many people she saved, right? Now, there's just one condition. There's one condition. The spies say to her, this oath that you made us swear, made us. Like clearly they have been outmaneuvered, right? This oath you made us swear will not be binding unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in your window. And unless you brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. So in order to spare her family, she has to convince them to come into her house during a siege. Because then the Israelites will see the scarlet cord outside of her window. They'll pass by that house, and everyone in it will be safe. Now, how is she going to convince all those people to come into her house in the middle of a siege rather than run away? Well, she's going to have to tell them that there is only one God and that he is mighty to save and that she believes in this God and that if they would just come into her house, they will be saved if they just put their trust in this God. Another word for that is evangelism. God uses her mess. The fact that she's a prostitute is what got the spies there in the first place, right? And he uses that mess for her to tell others that God is God of the whole earth. God can and does very often use the thing that is a mess in our lives for his good news message. A recovering alcoholic can help other alcoholics. A couple that's going through a really hard time in their marriage can help other couples in the same situation. Now you may think, well, I don't want my mess to become my message. I kind of want to keep it to myself and not think about it. But imagine being so free of that mess in your life that you don't mind if everyone knows. I mean, that's amazing freedom. Your mess becomes your message. Your misery becomes your mission. Your weakness can very well be your greatest strength. One of my weaknesses as a preacher is I talk too fast, so I've been told. I just think people listen too slowly, right? And and I try to slow down. I really do work on it. I try to slow down but it doesn't last because I get excited and then I start talking all really fast again because this is just how I talk, right? Well, two weeks ago, I read some research that said that everybody's mind wanders in conversation. And the reason our minds wander is because normal people speak at about 225 words per minute, but our brains can process twice that speed, 500 words a minute, so we get bored and our minds wander. In other words, people talk too slowly. I am doing you a favor, right? That has nothing to do with this sermon. You just need to know that. 
some of you aren't buying it, but it's possible. Some of it, yeah, the front row shape. No, we're not buying that, right? It's possible, maybe not in that case, but in other cases, our weakness might be our strength. God can use the mess for his good news message. And that's what he does for Rahab. And her message is not just to her family. It's actually back to the Israelites as well. Because the text says, when the spies returned, they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given you the whole land into our hands. Given us, yeah, I'm sorry. The Lord has surely given us the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Melting in fear. Where did they get that phrase? That's from Rahab, right? Those are Rahab's words. That's Rahab's message. And now through the spies, that message goes back to the Israelites and encourages them because Rahab has more faith in their ultimate victory than they do because Rahab has more faith in their God than they do. God often uses outsiders to remind insiders of the power of his grace and of his love. For instance, often new Christians understand God's grace and love way better than longtime Christians who at one point knew that they were sinners saved by grace, but over time have come to believe that God really did a smart thing by forgiving them. That was a good strategic move on God's part, and maybe they earned it after all. And outsiders remind us, no, 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 no. We're all sinners saved by grace. Your mess is not your meaning. There is mercy for your mess. Your mess can become your message, and all of that's true because finally your mess has a Messiah. The scarlet cord Rahab hangs outside her window so the soldiers will pass by her house and everyone in it will be saved. Like, that does, does that remind you of anything? Right? Like, you don't have to be an English major to figure this out, right? Like, engineers can do this one too, right? Like, maybe the book of Exodus where the Israelites put the blood of a lamb on their door so, as a sign that they trusted God so that the angel of death would pass over their house. Or maybe like Jesus, whose crimson blood was shed to pay the price for our sins, so that as the Bible says, though our sins be as scarlet, because of Jesus they are white as snow. And Rahab's house becomes kind of a symbol for the church. Not church as institution, but church as community of people who have put their trust in God, in Jesus, God in human form. And anyone under the scarlet cord, the crimson blood of Jesus, anyone under that is safe. Her brothel becomes a church. And one of the themes in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, believe it or not, is the theme of the prostitute. Throughout the Bible, Israel is constantly called a prostitute nation because they run after other gods. And Jesus reached out to prostitutes to show them God's grace. But by the time you get to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the prostitute is transformed and becomes the bride of Christ, which is a symbol for the church. And what is vice in the prostitute becomes virtue in the church. Namely, that she welcomes all customers. And under the scarlet blood of Jesus, we are made new and we are made part of God's redemption community because your mess has a Messiah. In fact, you cannot spell the word Messiah without mess because he came to redeem all of our messes. I recently heard a pastor tell a story about a woman who visited his church for the first time. And her name was Janet. And Janet dropped her two little boys off at the Sunday school while she went to the worship service. And then after the service, while Janet was there to pick up her boys, one of the volunteers told her that her two boys had picked fights with some other kids in the Sunday school. Both her boys had, had broken some toys that belonged to the church, right? And in a room that was filled with other kids and their parents, Janet started to yell at her two boys and then screamed in a loud voice a word I cannot say in church, even though the Apostle Paul uses that that word in his letter to the Philippians, which usually gets translated, I count everything as loss, or some brave translations, I count it all as dung compared to knowing Jesus. Only the real word is a lot rougher than that. That's what Janet yelled. Right? 
And the other parents were like, whoa, you said that word in church. Like, you can't do that, right? And as soon as she said it, she felt deeply, deeply ashamed and, and left just as quickly as she could. And the Sunday school volunteers figured they'd never see Janet again. That was her first Sunday. But one of them called the church the next day, and they'd asked if Janet had left her contact information in, like, the visitor's notebook, the visitor's log, and she had. So the Sunday school volunteer sent Janet a note, and the note said this, Dear Janet, I'm so glad that you and your boys visited our church. We love having new visitors. Oh, and about that little exchange when you picked up your boys, let's just say that I found it so refreshing that you would feel freedom to speak with an honest vocabulary like that in church. I am drawn to honesty, and you are clearly an honest person. I hope we can become friends. Okay, Bell Press, let me be clear. If something like that ever happens here, this is how you do it, right? This is how we respond, right? Not with eye rolls or persnickety little comments. This is how we respond. Janet got that note, so Janet came back to church the next Sunday, and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that. And Janet and that volunteer did end up becoming friends. And then Janet started to get honest about her life. In fact, she was a recovering heroin addict. Her life was a total mess because of this drug addiction. And she came to church because she felt like maybe God could help. And she started to follow Jesus and found a new supportive community and and got off the drugs. And guess what Janet does now? Janet is now the director of that Sunday school in that church where she gets to tell kids, among other things, that Jesus can redeem the messes of our lives. Her mess was not her meaning. She found mercy for her mess. Her mess became her message to the kids because her mess had a Messiah whose name was Jesus. So what mess are you in? Because we're all in a mess of some kind, and if you're not in a mess now, you will be. And what mess are other people in that you know, and how can you help them out of it? Because there's no mess so big, Jesus can't redeem it. Drug addiction, that's a big mess. He redeemed it. It may take time. It will be hard. But the cross shows us that, in, that, that Jesus, who is God in human flesh, the cross shows us how far he will go, how much pain he was willing to bear, how despised, rejected, and abused he was willing to become to redeem all of our messes. This is our God, and there is no other God like this. There is no other God like this. On the cross where the scarlet cord of Jesus' blood was on display for the whole world, Jesus says there is nothing you could ever do to outrun my redeeming love for you. Because all the sins we have sinned and all the sins that have been sinned against us, all the hardships we face, the suffering we endure, the disappointments we experience, the messes of our lives, all of those were driven into the hands of a righteous man by a brutal Roman nail and put to death with him. And then he rose with nothing but blessing in his hand. And the nail-scarred hands of Jesus say, no matter how wounded you get, no matter what kind of situation you are in, there is new life coming because our mess has a Messiah who makes all things new. So Jesus, thank you that that's who you are and that's what you do. And so God, we bring you every mess we are in. We bring you the mess in our lives, the mess that is our sinful, sinful hearts, the messes in our community, in our nation, in our world. We lay them at your feet, Jesus, and we declare that you are Lord of those things and that you are mighty to save, and we will act on your promises because we know you make all things new, Jesus. That's what you do. In your name, amen.